0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, my guest today, Sophia Lorel, co-CEO and co-founder of Tiny Organics, an early childhood nutrition and wellness company. Tiny Organics introduces babies and toddlers to their first 100 flavors via organic, plant-based, fresh, frozen meals. And born and raised in Finland, Sophia has been passionate about advocating for women and children throughout her life. And prior to Tiny Organics, she supported, the corporate, she supported corporate growth at Ascend Foundation, helping elevate women and minorities into U.S. corporate boards and creating a pipeline to achieve the highest levels of leadership at Fortune 500 companies. Now Sophia is doing the good work of creating healthy eating habits at a time when obesity and chronic health problems are on the rise. So let's dig into it and learn how she is changing the game. Sophia, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Adam. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Thanks. I'm I'm thrilled to have you, and our relationship goes back about six months. We hung out in Miami recently through your hubby Bonin, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But we had the pleasure to connect and break bread. Um, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I'm super excited to unpack your background and your story and all your learning. So let's get to it. So Sophia, born born and raised and educated in Finland. You've traveled around the world. What what would you say like how, how did that international upbringing and background really shape who you are today?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and I think I've only realized the older I get like what an impact it really has and had. I think you know, I grew up in a very academic family and a very artistic family and I think that has informed even just how I look at life and kind of that traditional career path was never I was never that was never the only option for me. Um, my family, as mentioned, born and raised in Helsinki, but we lived in London when I was younger. Um, but like five years old, so very young. Uh, but I do think that had an impact as well and how I viewed the world. Uh, Finland as a as a as a as a place to grow up in is obviously fantastic. Uh, well, definitely from an education perspective, but also just you know it's very safe. Uh, it's a it's generally a be- beautiful. Uh, it's a, a a lot of um, a lot of the core components of a society are really it's a very well run society, um, great great education, great healthcare system. Uh, but I kind of always felt like I wanted something more. I wanted to experience something more, and I actually ended up moving back to London, kind of on my own, um, as I was still uh, finishing up my. Um, bachelor's degree in the New University of Helsinki but I've only recently started thinking about how kind of that upbringing back home in a family that was maybe kind of non-traditional so my my brother is actually a uh, a well-known musician, well-known jazz composer and musician uh, back home uh, between Finland and and Berlin and uh, Germany. And my sister is a pretty well-known, also uh, a playwright and a novelist. Uh, So
0: you have the creative side (laughs) in your family. You have the educational side. But where did the entrepreneurship bug, the DNA come from? Because I I always talk about all the time. Both my parents are educators. They're New York City Board of Ed teachers. My brother works in education. He's a guidance counselor. So where the hell did I come from? Where did, where did this bug come from? Where did it come from in, in, in you? from your If you're kind of doing the 23 me DNA test, where did the, the entrepreneurial uh, strand come from? I think
1: that's a great question. And I don't really necessarily have a direct answer to it. I do think... It doesn't
0: have to be, but like, what inspired you? There had to be parts of it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think I often say people who I spend a lot of time with have heard me say this before, that I, I truly do believe we're here one time on this earth. Um, and... I think this idea of like making it count and leaving a legacy has just always been really strong in me. And I think this idea of like, you know, I'm I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like I moved to New York. So after London, I moved to New York um, 12 years ago now.
0: Talk about it now. Let's get into it. Might uh, as well.
1: It's been, yeah, it's been 12 years. I moved here September 10th. Uh, sorry, no, sorry, September third, twenty ten, and I remember um, came in and was like, "Oh, well, it's really quiet in New York." And it turns out it was Labor Day weekend. Uh, I think it was that Monday. <laughs> why, is this,
0: why is nobody here <laughs> right like, now? Oh, not it's Labor Day weekend. It's only the weekend when everybody leaves New York. The island is empty. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And this is another story. I had come here. I visited New York for the first time when I was sixteen years old uh, with my friend who was doing some uh, modeling work, but like real modeling uh, with IMG. And I like secretly stayed at the model apartment where I shouldn't have stayed, but like, I did all the things that I think like I went to Times Square and I like, literally looked around and was like, wow, you know, one day I will live here. And it took me some time. I think this is another key piece being an immigrant. Um, whole other story, which I'll talk about is kind of the visa, uh, visa journey that I had been on, but uh, it took me some years to really come here in a, Come here properly uh, with the, with a real job, you know. And that happened. I worked in finance um, when I first moved here, and I worked on Wall Street. And it was just, I was just—I remember thinking, like, wow, what is my life? Um, but but I just I just knew that I, I wanted to, you know, uh, I, I wanted I wanted almost more. I wanted a bigger environment. I wanted my my probably my superpower, if you will, or the thing that brings me the most joys is. is meeting, meeting new people, connecting people who I love to each other. Um, and I just think, if I try to decode it here, it probably is that there is more more people both in London and, and, and in New York. And I think
0: Be, yeah. New York
1: has really, is really made me who I am. Uh, I couldn't love this. It's city so more. it's so
0: interesting right I mean you talk about New York too I mean I'm born and raised New Yorker something that I just take a tremendous amount of pride with pride in and it's really true when they say if you can make it here you can make it anywhere because this city is gritty and when I even just talking about physically the companies churn and burn you know they really put you through the ringer and let's talk for a second about your your, your time on Wall Street because time on Wall Street for folks can be extremely polarizing by by the sheer nature of it but what do you think that key takeaway was you know from your time in Wall Street that you apply now and we'll get to you know tiny organics in a little bit but what do you think that key you know golden nugget you know from from wall street time
1: it's interesting because i was working at a brokerage house in london before moving to new york to work in finance and very different corporate cultures obviously but i think like the role i will say was more of a junior role i would say it was mid-office mid-office back-office role which i probably should have been more in kind of investor relations uh, knowing my strengths especially now
0: you had to start yeah
1: absolutely and I just think it's essentially, I remember I had a really close relationship with my, with my boss. Um, and I think that goes back to some of the, even if I could, you know, if, even if I can give advice to people now, is just kind of like, you know, start building those relationships almost like before you need them uh, and start building those relationships. That's and I think for me, I'm still close with one of my bosses and this was, yeah, about 12 year, 12 plus years ago now. And just just forged this really close relationship with him and it ended up evolving into more of a uh, I know a lot of people talk about kind of having a having a board for your for yourself like a personal board mm-hmm. And he's, he's on that. I don't really call it a board. I think there is, I've been formulating this idea I, of having like I, a group of people in, around you. <laughs> I'll,
0: I call it, and I, I did not coin this Sophia, but I, I picked this up and it's a title of a book and I'm blanking. It's a tribe of mentors, right? I have a, like, I have a tribe of mentors. Your, your, your husband is on my, my board oh, of awesome. tribe of mentors. <laughs> um, sometimes he's close, sometimes he's far, but when I, when I do spend time with him, you know, he's always just adding so much value to my personal and, and, and professional life. And we'll get to that in a second there. But I, I want to throw a curveball here because you mentioned something interesting. A, the fact that you are spending three days a week in a physical office right now. Um, w- one of the things that's kind of been going on in my mind a little bit with the pandemic for the last couple of years, Sophia, is what's that impact going to be on younger and newer workers to the workforce that are, are, that are remote, that don't have the opportunity to sit in an office? And observe, you know, senior level folks operating their body language and all that. Are we are we going to get into a are we in a, a a deficit of of learning and growing for younger and newer employees, or say shit this this is the way forward, this is the future. Let's figure out how to adapt and make it work. Yeah,
1: great question. In my household, uh, my husband who you referenced earlier, him and I have differing opinions on this. So I'm very much someone who uh, thrives in an office environment. Thrives I talk all the time, you know, the water cooler moments, the kitchen moments. Um, And I think that that goes back to just who I am. I think I derive energy from other people. But then I know people who are completely opposite. Um, uh, I think for some people, it really just works for them to be generally in like a quiet environment. Um, I, I do think taking calls is one challenging piece now being in an office where you're like, okay, do I take them in the in the main room where everyone's sitting, right. or do I go into a, an office or a phone booth? But I, I think for us, uh, Tiny, we are a distributed team. So one of my co-founders, I have two co-founders. One of them is here in New York, one of them is in Chicago. And then the team is generally distributed. So my director of growth is in LA. I would say the critical mass in our company is still in New York. We were, you know, New York founded, um, but I think to your question around um, the deficit, I I personally would love to see more people returning to the office. Um, but I think it's a very individual decision. And again, with our team, for example, we're going to make sure that um, whether it's I think everyone's new favorite word, offsite or summit is doing off-sites or, or co-working sessions um, with, the, with uh, employees who are remote, I would say at least once a quarter to get the whole team together. Um, and then, for example, with my director of growth, who's LA-based, uh, we have him coming out to New York every six weeks uh, for at least three to five days. Um, that's been working yeah. really so, well for us. So,
0: so it's a hybrid. It's a right? totally You, you hybrid. figure it. You figure it as you go. So I went off track there a little bit, but I think it's important to talk about your journey. You know, before Tiny Organics and your time at Ascend. Um, and the piece that was really stood out to me is your work in, in helping women in minority appointments to corporate governance board. How, how exactly did 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 that? You know, come about? Was it a logical progression, or were you following a calling a, into that path and trajectory? Yes,
1: yeah, great question. It was a foundation. That was part of an organization, like a leadership organization for minorities and women, and there was actually an Asian American focus on that, like at at that organization. And we ended up publishing two research papers looking at kind of the EEOC, the government data uh, around, um, you know, anyone who works in in a in a in a in a corporate. Um, and we had, our focus was on Fortune 500s and right. it was actually during when like the Ellen Powell lawsuit uh, um, was was ongoing in Silicon Valley and right. one of the research papers focused just on kind of five Silicon Valley companies and the second uh, research paper focused on kind of a larger or uh, different sectors, I should say. And, what we found is that with Asian-Americans in particular, the kind of the quote unquote model minority, well-represented well represented in middle management, but hadn't risen uh, to the corporate boards, at least to the extent that that we would like. Um, and and there was also differences. This is, I think, my key takeaway from that work. And it was actually, it was incredible because it got picked up by literally you name set publication. Right. It was on the homepage of the LA Times, you know, Bloomberg Time, The Economist, uh, I actually, literally, I think I said if after I'm in the Economist, I can, you know, retire. You're good, uh, but also that's some some, <laughs> some some
0: light weekend reading with the Economist. I mean, there's not many pictures in the no, Economist for the those who've not very picked small. up an A lot of lot of words, a lot of words, <laughs> a a lot lot of of words, words. for those words uh, for those yes, readers. <laughs> and I need
1: to make it clear, I didn't write the research, but I was part of uh, the the team that really helped amplify the message. It's still a message. feather in
0: your cap, yeah. right? That's a feather in the yeah, cap to be an economist. Absolutely,
1: but I think my my key takeaway on that, and actually, Bonin's, uh, my husband's, on a public board as well currently, is that every group has their own own challenges. So I think, uh, uh, for example, one of them is, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you three. Um, on a board, um, people often, which happens every every in everything in life. You look at your your immediate networks and who do you know. So if a board is um, Less diverse. And this is this is diversity of uh, backgrounds, perspectives, viewpoints. Right. In addition Diversity is to, not just color. Diversity is exactly. not just color of your skin. Yeah, correct. it's not just color of the skin or, or it's gender. Not just gender. Yeah, exactly. So again, different perspectives. Because if we all had gone to, I don't know, one of the IVs, we most likely would think pretty similarly um, as an example. So one of them. So one of the reasons why boards kind of look similar is that people on the board look at who do they know. The other thing is what we found is if there is a candidate who's a woman or a part of a minority group, they almost become kind of the quote unquote the vetted candidate. So then they're on like multiple, multiple boards, right. um, which to a certain extent is good. But I do think I remember we were working with a woman who was on like. It was. She was on multiple and multiple public boards, but there are now that I've seen it through my husband it's like it's 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 intense um, board work.
0: It's, is not, intense. it's not. It's not. just a. T- it's not. It's not just a vanity nope. title. You're actually doing work when you're on these boards. Absolutely. There's decisions that are made. There's responsibilities, and I think people think it's not just uh, something to throw in your LinkedIn profile. I mean, it's a serious responsibility.
1: Absolutely, uh, especially if it's a public board. But even I think for myself, I've been looking at it. Obviously, knowing having all of that. Um, all of that data, and knowing all of that data. And of course, this was a couple of years ago, but it's still very much the same. Like I I do believe you have to kind of see it to be it. um and wanting to encourage more, more women and minorities to join boards, all types of boards. And obviously, if you can join, I think the stepping stone often is nonprofit boards or private boards, smaller company boards. Like for us, for example, at like Tiny, it's not a mandate, but we've always wanted um, at least half of our board to be Women um, and as many moms as possible, um, and we we are there. I'm happy to happy to say that we always had had at least half of our cap table, almost half of our cap table. Be, be women, um, so so,
0: those so women. let me so let me let me ask you this: At what time in your journey was the first seed planted for, for tiny organic?
1: So it actually goes back to Finland. Um, there's an invention called the Finnish baby box. Won't go into that story. too. we'll keep it. I'm the person who says long story short, and then says the long story anyway. But I will say long
0: story long, as I like long, to say long, long story, story long.
1: I will say long story <laughs> short, right. um, an invention back home since the 1930s, uh, drastically lowered from metality back home, It's essentially a cardboard box that can act as a bassinet, as a crib, uh, as well, has everything you need for a baby's first year. Uh, And I would say in 2022, uh, still every new parent gets it from the government. And I was actually reminded that you either get the box or you get like cold cash. Um, So you can choose.
0: Hmm, Do you have a choice? You do
1: have a choice. Most parents do choose the box. So those more Affluent. Well, right. most parents do choose the box, huh? but I would say, especially more affluent parents, it, wouldn't use it as a as a crib. They would probably. Have but a is it crib. is
0: that more of a is that more of a cultural kind of rite of passage tradition? Yes. Where you get the box? Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, and it had been. I slept in the box when I was born. You know, I, I was able to buy one off of a off of a website because you can't really buy one. Uh, you have to be kind of given one when you're when you're pregnant. And uh, and that was our one of our initial ideas with my co-founder and I we connected I say the best things happen at rooftop parties in 2017 at a rooftop party in New York City ah, came together at the height of
0: rooftop parties <laughs> right the peak the peak of rooftop parties Absolutely. in New York nothing nothing better than a beautiful than a beautiful night in New York City Absolutely. rooftop
1: and came together my co-founder at the time wanted to start a family and was going through And this is Betsy is this, this Betsy? Is Betsy yeah and she was exiting her company in the pet space Told her about the baby box. And we knew that we both wanted to build for families, for children, um, really kind of bring the health of children and families to the forefront of the conversation in the US as well. And we were looking at EIR roles, entrepreneurs in residence roles, and we're talking to a couple of different funds in New York and really we resonated the most with Human Ventures. Joe Marchese had the heart net. Shout out. I'm sure, Adam, you know those, know those cats know those folks um, and they were which is one thing that I talk a lot about these days is that kind of non-linear path to being a founder non-linear non-traditional, non-traditional. career path for a founder yep. um, and they were looking for founders who don't necessarily look like a typical founder like again I'm uh, an immigrant from I'm a small country up north and Betsy's from a really small town near Chicago and you know she had also actually lived in London but then you know, really, kind of, we both had similar paths, uh, and we came together and joined Human back in 2018 uh, February. So it's been a it's been a good four plus years. That's why it's no- nostalgic to be in their new offices again. So, like, and, and, and it's so
0: interesting too. So whenever whenever I'm talking to whenever I'm talking to founders, and I mean like you know real real founders, real companies here, um, those early days, those early challenges. What was one of those unexpected challenges that came your way? that might have you know, almost been stop stopping your tracks detrimental to the business that you guys had to overcome early on? Yeah,
1: I think, great question. I think th- this really helped us being around other brands. I always say a human, there was like an all ships rise mentality. None of the startups were directly competitive, but we're all going through the same challenges together. And I think we probably would have, quote unquote, stayed in the building longer had we not been with humans. So we quite quickly realized that we could have the biggest impact in childhood development through food. Um, There's a movement called Sormiruakailu, which means baby-led weaning, which is baby-led feeding, which is finger foods first, which I know you and I talked about. And what we ended up doing early days at Tiny's really testing it. Um, So there's a story that we sent one email to a group called Park Slope Parents, uh, looking for founding families and had had to actually cap it at a hundred, but would have had hundreds of families come pick up food from complete strangers. We had some legitimacy, because obviously Betsy was pregnant at the time, but we had like a homeless guy helping us pull these heavy coolers. But then it was an incredible story and in that we ended up choosing from that group of 125 power testers who ended up staying with us and they've come back to us um, with their second children. Um, but LTV obviously very high, very high touch, um, looking at how we, can, how, we can, how we can scale that connection. But I think we probably would not. I don't know if we would have had that courage to. I think it's Steve Blank, one of the startup authors, who says like, get out the building. Essentially, go and validate, go and validate the ideas. And what I would actually because
0: right, because so many founders live in a bubble, right? They live in their own thought bubble instead of actually testing it in the
1: market. Absolutely, they have
0: a hypothesis in their head. They think it's going to work that way. They pump all their energy, money, and, and capital into it, and they pause. They don't take the moment to pause and actually talk to real consumers earlier in the process. Yep.
1: Absolutely. And if I could get a, give advice in this regard, I would say find... So say you have three ideas within a certain vertical, like try to find people. And by the way, no one, 99% of people will be happy that you reach out to them as long as it's a thoughtful note. Maybe it's, it is via LinkedIn or I don't know. I'm, I'm not a Twitter user. I probably should be. But like I... Just just, just reach out to people. Like I, I really don't think... And even if someone's annoyed, you know, F them. It's like, I, I generally reach out to people. Take your shots.
0: Take your chances. Yes, exactly.
1: And like, what has been totally instrumental to me, I got to give another shout out to Patrick Yee. He's a former CMO at Daily Harvest, former CMO at Refiner 29 And he's been completely transformational to me, to my career, but also really, really helped that he had had that, exper- that experience at Daily Harvest, which of course is... Different demo, but generally a very similar company to what we're building at Tiny, fresh, frozen, organic, healthy meals. Um, and find people, say you have three ideas within a certain vertical, even if you have one idea within a certain vertical, find an operator who has, 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 has done it, um, whether it's successful or not. Okay. Like I think having those, I remember Human was looking for second-time founders. And at the time, it was technically a one-and-a-half-times founder, I founded this app for visitors to New York, and that's a whole other story where this panda head around New York City, long story long. Uh, but um,
0: we'll uh, we'll link some photos to that. <laughs> that after those are, we'll get that for everybody.
1: Those are, those are some sp- special photos. I'm basically wearing a panda head in front of oh, the we'll largest, uh, largest landmarks in New York. But I totally understand why HV and others were looking for second time founders because I'm, I've been thinking of ways of how to like bottle all that experience and even just insights. Even like you think of hiring, advisory boards, boards, fundraising, you know, how to structure your teams, um, all, all those different verticals. I have like so much to say about all of those, and thinking of ways of like how can I, you know, just to me, I'm like, how can I just try to help people? And I do think the critical mass is in the. I have a lot of respect for pre-seed and seed funds because that's often kind of the hardest. You know, the payout may be the biggest, yeah, but the it's roots. really okay. hard. Like I think funds generally tend to move upstream. So, Uh, because then you have the proof points already there in the metrics.
0: The podcast is brought to you in partnership with VinCherry, the recruitment operating system the all-in-one tech platform purposely built for recruitment and staffing to unify your front, middle, and back office operations. VinCherry is designed by recruiters for recruiters. Both the company and the platform are the unique creations of successful recruiters who sold their business, saw a need for a better recruitment tech, and made it happen. And if you're looking to upgrade your recruitment tech and give your recruiters a new modern operating system, visit thencherryio slash podcast. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-E dot I-O backslash p-o-z-c-a-s-t for an exclusive offer thanks i want to talk about the product itself for a moment um it's a pretty noisy market out there when it comes to uh baby toddler children's food out there especially you know over the last 10-15 years and organic and healthy and moving away from processed and sugared and crap um What makes Tiny Organics different? Yeah, great question. From a product standpoint, yeah,
1: and I should say, absolutely, like you said, um, Adam, baby food—a competitive market. We actually know all the other founders uh, in this space as well, so it is, to me, still an all ships rise mentality within our space and also competition. Very much validates the market exactly that there's other options um, or as as many options as possible um, for healthy foods for all. But for tiny, um, I think a couple of key differentiators. One of them is really kind of the childhood development focus. So we are, um, all of our products are actually textured foods. So our hero meals, or I should say the tiny bowls that we call them, uh, the oatmeals, and then the lunch and dinner options, such as coconut curry, baby burrito bowl, ratatouille. We introduce different cultures through food, really good food. I eat the food most days. Uh, It's a great healthy cider, a snack for adults as well and for older kids. But that's kind of the biggest, one of the biggest differentiators is um, I mentioned the movement baby led weaning. It's a UK term. It could be better in the US. So we try to use like baby led feeding. It kind of weaning use means something a little different in the UK. But the whole point is that you let your baby lead. Like eating is an innate skill. How the palate shapes is actually fascinating. There's something called a flavor window between four and seven months in a human, mm. human being's life where we're more open to trying new textures and flavors than we will be ever again. And trying to really... We also yeah. have an innate preference for sweet foods. So for us, the idea is really to try to introduce uh, vegetable first, which is another differentiator. Most of our foods are vegetable first, and we don't mask uh, a veggie with a fruit but to introduce mm. textured vegetable-first foods first. And this obviously has lifelong impact. It shapes the palates to prefer vegetables, healthy flavors, healthy foods. And it primes the palate to prefer those foods later on in life. I'm- and there's research done that the more textures and flavors you can introduce before the age of two, uh, the more adventures, less peaky, less fussy your, your child will ultimately become and we try to introduce veggies in a friendly and fun way. So a lot of our SKUs have, uh, or a lot of our meals have funny and punny names. Um, and uh, and I will also mention one more thing, Adam, Tiny Beginnings, which is our one of our new product lines. The pieces are larger. And it's really interesting because the whole idea is that the baby can actually pick up the food themselves, learn independently. So it's more
0: sensory. It's a it's a sensory Thousand experience percent. versus having mommy or daddy just spoon feeding yes. them. And I, and I was going to ask you that that importance of texture from a cognitive growth perspective, and connecting the dots as a as a developing brain between not just shoveling mush into your mouth that might be a bland flavor, but understanding and associating the different colors, textures, and flavors yeah, and feels. Absolutely. Kids, kids play with yep. their food. It is what it is. My my son is almost four, and he, he tried to eat his his Cheerios this morning with his hand with milk. I'm like, bro, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> and I was like, that's gross, just stop it. But he's still like, you're 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 predisposition to listen. We're we're animals. That's how we, we learn to eat with our hands. Absolutely. You
1: know? And you think about something like sleep training <laughs> for sleep. Like oh. there should be something called the flavor training. Um, this is really a skill that's developed. And one of the other some of the other kind of key benefits to this way of approaching feeding is um, like I mentioned independence, but also your child knowing when they're full, eye hand coordination, like you said, dexterity, engaging all their senses, even when you heat up the food, even the aromas and the smell of the foods is like super key. And I remember early days, actually at the old office, we had a, um, a panel with one of our neonatal nutritionists who we still work with. And she said like, new means no. With toddlers, right? Any new flavor can mean an immediate no, especially if it's a new flavor, if it's a textured flavor, if it's a bitter flavor, uh, or textured food. uh, Excuse me. But the idea of that you may have to introduce it a few times, and that's it's completely normal for don't give up exactly. Don't give up. It's completely normal for a baby to refuse a new flavor. And even if your baby makes a face, that doesn't mean that they don't could like be it. Moody. Yes. It could
0: be moody. It could just be the wrong time. I mean, it, it's it's really fast. And here, here's a kind of a, a funny little prime example of that. So I, I was I was solo with my son this weekend. My my wife and daughter were away for the holiday. And my, my son's almost four and he kept saying cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Dad, I want to <laughs> try a cheeseburger. And I was like, I was like a pig shit. I was super happy because I love cheeseburgers. And he's always been a chicken nugget kind of guy. And we were kind of tight on time and don't hate me for doing this. But every once <laughs> no. in a while, I went through the McDonald's <laughs> yeah. drive through and I got him the McDonald's cheeseburger and we, we did it. And he took one little tiny bite and he was not interested. And I was like, all right, maybe you need a real cheeseburger. And the next day we were at a friend's barbecue for the holiday. And my friend made a perfect, amazing textbook, you know, barbecue cheeseburger. And my little dude annihilated the whole thing. And now he's a cheeseburger freak. So it's about time, mood sensory yeah. different types of food and you you cannot you cannot give up so let me ask you this question four, four years in maturing organization growing in sales market share and all that what what is what is that next challenge what is that next milestone that you guys need to break through overcome and push through to take tiny organic to the next level
1: i think for us um something that i didn't mention yet is in our DNA is, is to be an omnichannel brand so going to retail as well um uh, definitely do not want this brand to be just for the 1% uh, accessibilities on all of our DNAs. And I wouldn't be building the brand if it wasn't for for us to be able to offer it to as many people as possible. Our big north star at the companies to be on WIC, which is the food stamps for women and children. Over half of parents were on WIC pre-pandemic. So pretty shocking. And that number is um, definitely higher now and only 10% of children in America get their daily recommended amount of vegetables. And a lot of it is actually through French fries. Um, so lots, so much we have our work cut out for us. But I think for us right now, given we're still almost purity to see um, or direct to consumer, I think a lot of the challenges that I think most companies are facing right now is um, some of the things that are good for humanity, such as like the privacy updates um, and kind of the, I think the market conditions have changed And we are not immune to those things. So I think there's going to be some choppy times, I would say, for most public and private companies, yes. But I think on a broader level, what I'm looking at is just how do we grow and scale. Um, I believe we can and we will be the market leader in this space. And most, if not all, children will learn to eat this way, um, which is really exciting for me. Um, and I think
0: I'm, I'm the a-
1: meaningful impact that we get to create through the company daily. And, we you know, we obviously get a lot of inbounds from our parents and how we help make their lives a little easier and help make children's lives healthier. I mean, that's that's all I could ask for. But I do think about um, how do we grow and scale the company? How, we, how do we grow and scale the team? You know, um, how do we prioritize? Um, I think that's another key piece. I was talking to a founder friend recently about like, Prioritization, and I think I'm kind of a self development freak. Um, Bonnie and my husband and I. Yeah,
0: I mean, I was going to, I was going to get, I was going, I was going to get to that in a little bit and talk about, you know, how does someone who juggles so many pieces in life, personal, professional, travel, passions, prioritization, and I'm hitting that point in my career. We just launched our, our, my, I just launched my second recruiting company, and I'm like, shit, I got to figure out how to yes. balance priorities, keep all the, all the balls moving and in play. How do you do it?
1: That's that's, I think. The thing we need to all work on. I think uh, for Bonnet and I, I think starting a family is in the cards for us soon. So that's going to be another piece. And especially, I feel like I'm going to be the most prepared Excellent. person ever. <laughs> well, at, least you, at
0: least you got the meals taken oh, care of and you'll get a box in your life. way.
1: By the way, Adam, you're tidy for life also. So you let, you let me know, uh, even for your four year old um, healthy cider snack. Uh, never stop selling. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, think, I think that's 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 the big question, Adam. And I, I, I'm someone who whether it's superhuman, whether it's Asana, whether it's Notion, you know, I've kind of tried them all. Uh, I think some of, some of the tools are better than others, but I think even just emails, uh, I think about how do I structure my day. Uh, And I've read, I've read a lot of the books, I've been at Tony Robbins conferences. That was through Bonham, though. But uh, but I, it, it was interesting. Uh, very much kind of a self development. Did
0: you do the firewalk? Oh, did you we fire definitely walk?
1: did that. We 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 yeah. for sure did that. It's it's over before you know it. But it, you definitely do walk on calls. Uh, but it's actually yeah, for anyone who's been, they they'll know so, what I talk about. But it's a. Uh, it's this chant that you do like there's a whole build up to it.
0: There's a whole thing. To so it. Uh, so there, there's one there's one there's one quick thing I want, I want to double back to for yeah. a moment there. And it's something that that I just learned about um, last year during an, a, a, a summit event that I was at in Newark, New Jersey. I learned about the concept of a food desert, which mm-hmm. is completely new to me being a growing up in a you know, middle class, upper middle class, suburban neighborhood. But the concept of a a food desert, meaning that there's so many areas of this country, neighborhoods, communities that just don't have access to good food. It's processed garbage, fast food for one reason or another, socioeconomic. So what is Tiny Beans doing to expand not just from the park slopes of the world, but also to those urban uh, sectors that are underserved living in this food desert? Great
1: question. And that's, again, a key part of why we founded the business uh, was accessibility. Like I was saying earlier, I think for us right now, we do see that our, of course, price points, that's going to be number one thing, f- which of we're course. focused on is trying it's to bring premium, the price point It's a premium product. A- absolutely. And I think for us- Premium
0: quality, it's a premium product for a reason. You're not yeah. skimping out and you're not cheaping out on the quality of the ingredients. Yeah. And sometimes it costs more for the good yeah. stuff. So. But I think- Call it what it is.
1: One, one of the key differentiators, which I forgot to mention, is that we are frozen. So the food is made fresh and frozen. There is kind of this misconception, uh, I think, especially here in the U.S., that frozen is somehow not good. I think it's because kind of frozen pizza so kind of co-opted a lot of the frozen aisles in well, supermarkets right. there's
0: there's obviously there's probably a, you know there's a pre- de- 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 pre-deceived disposition on what what that means uh, absolutely. right like connotations of frozen you think frozen pizza frozen fries fish sticks all that garbage Yes.
1: so it, but essentially frozen is actually the next best thing after fresh especially if you're going to freeze up the peak of freshness but for us i think mean, the one key piece is that the shelf life is six months and and even beyond we generally say six months but i mean if you if your food is frozen frozen, it stays good uh, in the freezer for months. So I think that's gonna be another big piece for us when we are in retail. And as mentioned, WIC, it's a long, it's a long-term project with WIC. It's very kind of it's state level. It's it it just it we've we're actually we serve on a right. panel called Veggies early and often. It's Michelle Obama's Let's Move Sister organization called Healthier America. Um, and it's all of us competitors together. And, and there's some other companies as well. Um, large companies, small companies in the baby food space, in particular children's food space. And we have this logo on our packaging that says veggies early and often, which signals to the parent that there's over 50% vegetables um, in that food. But going back to your question, I think one key piece, what, once we're in retail, we can actually be in the frozen section, which a lot of the food deserts just don't have a almost like a fresh, fresh, fresh section. With organic Right, produce. most stuff is,
0: deli- is, is is frozen. Yeah, so
1: and- I think that's one one key piece why we actually have kind of a leg up uh, to be able to, to, to offer organic um, options in, in food desserts in particular. The other thing, which I'm really, um, I, I love this idea, a company called Every Table. They do different pricing in different areas. And something that obviously... I need to talk to my co-founder, a CEO about this. Uh, Obviously, this has been kind of an idea just ruminating ruminating in Mm -hmm. my head. And we've talked uh, with actually an investor. Price
0: price scales based on community. Yeah,
1: so I I do think that's another, I would say, um, until we can get the price point down everywhere. And obviously in retail, our price points needs to be lower. Um, And we're on par with with other uh, competitive set currently. But as you said, it is currently a premium product. I will say one more thing is that we do have... We do have customers in kind of second-tier cities where there isn't access to a point. uh, There isn't immediate access to – because again, like you said, in a middle-class, upper-middle-class suburban um, neighborhoods, and let alone New York City or larger cities, you kind of forget um, that there is such a need. And I think it's it's like a human right to have access to healthy foods. And this has like such a massive impact on our lives and the rest of our lives, like how we learn to eat. And how the palate shapes. The
0: foundation. So it's, it's the foundation yeah, exactly. For everything. So
1: whatever we and, can and, do to help uh, provide organic healthy foods for, for as many people as possible, I, I mean it. I that's that's my life's mission and my life's work.
0: I love, I love it, and I love watching the uh, the journey of Tiny Organics. I want to shift gears for a moment here before we bring it home, and and I want to talk about your husband Bonan Bau, who I've known for a number of years. I've worked alongside of him. I helped him produce let two summers ago peak pandemic podcast, <laughs> which <laughs> was a lot of fun. That's where I really got to know him and it, and his awesomeness through through the relationship with Loeb. But what the heck is it like living <laughs> in the world of Bonan all day long? And if anybody that doesn't know him, please check him out. Um, these are two powerhouse alpha entrepreneurs living under one roof what what's tell us a little bit of the pull back the pull back the bed sheets a little bit um you know the, the you know i mean is it like is it one of those things is it is it shop talk all the time i mean how awesome is it to have such a close advisor i mean or is he biased does he tell you how does he tell you how it really is sometimes
1: always and i got to i got to say i i really wouldn't be here without him i you know credit him in so many ways of helping me developing into the to the leader that i am today and even even to the person that i am today and i like him and i i think what's great about his and my relationship we are pretty similar like when we're on we're on and when we are off like literally Uh, I I hate to admit this, but we probably, Laura and order SVU, I think we've seen most of the episodes ever made, which means days of TV uh, and binging. But you need that. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's how it is in in our home is that we are, of course, I remember when we, we had our green card interview and they asked us like what our hobbies are and we both looked at each other It's like, don't really have hobbies. I mean, Bonin ended up saying Lego building, and he's obsessed with Legos. Lego, and definitely pandemic great pandemic activity. But that's the thing for yeah, us: Legos. is like our hobbies are meeting people, seeing friends, connecting people to each other, going to dinners, going to conferences. I actually say like conferences are our love language because we did meet at a conference. We met at CES in 2016, uh, and basically ah, kind of have been together. The any great since.
0: Vegas connector. Well,
1: exactly. And Bonin always says we met in Vegas, and I say we met at CES. Both are both are correct. But
0: we met at the convention center. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I I um I've never met someone like him. I think he's uh, which you 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 touch on this a little bit, but the most creative thinker I know, really the best human that I know. He's such a good human being, and really. You it's been, it's been, it's fantastic in me. He's the first person I go to with, with any challenges and with any wins, you know, it's, it's fantastic to have that, like you said, kind of that partner in crime. Uh, I always wanted um, someone alongside me who fills a room uh, and elevates a ro- any room they walk into, but um, empowers me uh, at the same time. And, uh, and I know he's very proud of what I've achieved and, and vice versa, but um, it, I think he's, been on this journey every step of the way with me. and uh, um, I love it. Yeah. I, I couldn't be, I couldn't be happier. And, you know, I'd say all that. And then of course there are times when uh, two strong personalities clash and, and that's okay. Oh, I think t- that's the other I thing where, it. you know, I think all couples should, whether it's couples therapy, but even it could be couples coaching, uh, coining maybe a new term. But I think like, I think for us, you know, we also do things in business together. Um, and I think that's a harder experience, you know, because then you end up bringing well, that's, if you're working collaboratively on something, you end up bringing it home. Um, so that's also and, a hard environment. But how do
0: you separate that? But how do you, how do you how do you separate that? Right? And I've and I and I've had I've had co-founder, husband and wives, brother and sisters on my show before, too. And I always I always ask, like, you know, how do you how do you you're going out for a nice romantic dinner, a nice dinner at a great restaurant in Miami and New York, wherever? How do you stay? How do you separate? You know, church and state. How do you, you know, say, hey, listen, we're going go to go this dinner, and we're not talking shop, or is it actually okay to talk shop at dinner?
1: Um, my opinion on this is it's going to be hard. I give kudos to any couples founding businesses. It blends. Yeah, It's
0: hard to separate. It's
1: it. it's really hard, and I do think for Bonin and I, I can only speak for us, but we talk like you said, we talk shop all the time anyway. Like a lot of our conversations are around what we're doing in our respective businesses, but it, I think it's, I think it's hard. Um, I think it's probably easier being siblings, but I think being a couple founding businesses, and I I think this takes me to the next uh, point, which I talk about often is the co-founder relationship, which I don't know if there's enough resources because it is like a marriage and it's a different type of marriage, um, where I think I would love to see more coaching I would love to see more resources for co-founders overall, but it's. I think it's hard. Yeah. I think for Bonin and I now having our own respective businesses as well as having some overlap uh, in some of our, you know, side <clears throat> projects, I think works really well for us. And I know for my other co-founder Carolyn and her husband Mick, shout out uh, Mick's a DJ and an angel investor, and they I, they uh, consult with companies together but then they also have their respective uh, businesses so I would say that's probably for me what has worked uh the best. Um, that's,
0: that's interesting too so let's, let's before before I bring it home with, with the good stuff here um let's talk about co-founders for a second there and you, you mentioned something that's really interesting too because there there there's a chemistry and 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 the takeaway that I have is, it's that yin and yang balance right it's how do you find someone who complements what you have and, and and supplements what you don't have yeah and that's kind of what it is too and also someone that you could argue with constructively not take things personally know that you're in it together but that's not always that's not always easy and and not always picking your friend to be your your, your co-founder there but what's a quick hot take hot tip on any new you know startups out there you know look you do have to have a co-founder and what's what's the best takeaway
1: it's probably the most important decision you'll make um you don't have to have a co-founder i think that's a Um, I knew that I wanted to have a co-founder because I wanted to build uh, a co-founder, co-founders because I wanted to build with someone. Um, But you don't have to have one. I think it all depends on especially I would probably feel more comfortable founding a business on my own now having done this once. Uh, But there obviously everyone's an individual. And I think, you know, whether you could do some I know a human we did. Well, there's a personality test, or even just. That. And it doesn't. I don't mean like hmm. necessarily Myers Briggs, but I think there's kind of two types of personality tests that I think you can do. I would consult with people around you, uh, close friends and advisors, uh, and and especially once you have this new idea and you're kind of bouncing ideas off of these close people. I think that would be one question to ask. Uh, ask people um, is around kind of that. Smart. If if you're thinking about uh, going at it uh, alone. If you do have a co-founder, what are the most important decisions? you Probably the most important, most critical decision you'll make. I would advise against, it's, it's a big decision to start a company with your friend. I always say, yeah. with Betsy and I, we were co-founders first. because Be prepared will, to
0: lose a relationship. Oh, right? it will
1: one way or another, Some one way or another it will change that relationship. Um, not to say it couldn't be in a good way but it will change the relationship. So it's just being prepared for that. And my last piece of uh, advice is get a coach for your, get a co-founder mm-hmm. coach. I would say since the very early days, I know they can be a little crazy. investment. Yep. It's a good investment. It, exactly. Uh, it, it, but I, I would say we, we, we work, we we're working with a coach currently, and I almost wish course, we would always... have started it earlier. Um, so I would say- Self,
0: Self-development you know. is key.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I,
0: I love it. So, so so let's let's bring it home here. And this has been fantastic. And I think there's been so many golden nuggets here and I hope everyone walks away with them. Uh, Sophia, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day?
1: Ooh, my favorite saying is that what got you here won't get you there. Um, and I think we are all- Amen we the tendencies to stay in our comfort zones uh there's that there's that cartoon that one of this is growth and one of them is comf, uh, comfort i can't remember what they say to each other but basically right. the whole the point time. is do things that uh, you're maybe afraid of doing do things every day do things that you're maybe you know um tired of doing uh do things that you're maybe uh you know um scared of doing um and I think this is one thing that I also have started doing in the last, actually this year, is uh, writing a, a, a journal, nothing nothing crazy, three sentences in the morning, uh, not every morning, by the way, uh, a couple of times a week around gratitude and what I'm, what I'm grateful for. Um, and it, I, it's really helped me kind of put things in perspective. I think we often look at our lives and we're like, we're actually living the lives that we dreamt of. And we talked about Brookfield Place where our current office is. And I was walking through this office one morning and thinking, wow, I'm actually, I have my own company. It's going well, I have an incredible team. Like one plus one is much, much more. I'm building something that is creating meaningful impact. Uh, And I'm working in this incredible uh, environment. I'm living in New York City. And I'm like, Sophia, you are living the type of life that you're you dreamt it. of, uh, and so be grateful for that. Uh, but yes, I, my biggest advice is uh, try to get out of your out of your comfort zone. Is maybe a little, try, but try to do things that um, you're not comfortable with on a daily basis.
0: Love it. That is sound advice, and I needed to hear that right now as I'm weighing some things going on in, in my life professionally and personally. And Sophia, la- last but not least, when when you look back at your life and your journey. It hasn't always been sunshine and rainbows and stepping on, avoiding stepping on Bana's Legos all day long, (laughs) but you know, there's been times when you've had to focus and dig down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. So, Sophia, what is it that keeps you focused? What is it that keeps you going in the right direction in life, Sophia Laurel, What is your north star?
1: My north star would be impact, Uh, impact both from the perspective of people immediately around me. I am a believer of some version of you're the combination of the five closest people to you or the five people you spend the most time with, uh, and also impact, uh, for family. I'm super close to my family. Most of them are in Finland. want to make sure that they have the best chances, uh, to, to live the best lives possible. Um, and then impact uh, more broadly, uh, for our parents, uh, for our customers and for, um, anyone really around me. Um, I think, again, I believe we're here one time and I want to make sure I leave a positive um, legacy um, for everyone around me.
0: And amen to that. And Sophia, thank you so much for joining me. Hang with me one moment here. And everyone, I hope that you were inspired by Sophia at our co-founder's mission at Tiny Organics. I want everyone to check out tinyorganics.com to find out more information. Sophia, where could folks connect with you? Where could they learn more?
1: So definitely tinyorganics.com is our website for my company. Uh, And they should ping me, Sophia, S-O-F-I-A at tinyorganics.com for discount codes, for promo codes, for free samples. Uh, I would love to share uh, for all the listeners. And then also just my LinkedIn is probably best LinkedIn or Instagram. Both are. Sophia Laurel there you go Um, that's
0: it Sophia Laurel thank you so much for joining us today and everyone listening at home you know where to find out more at thepodcast.com listen sharing means caring if you love this episode leave a review a rating it goes a long way and listen ping me ping me I'd love to hear your thoughts you know where to find me and you know where to hear more remember take care of each other look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast take care everybody wisdom is forever but for us